If nobody turned that one steer the four times you ran that night, you didn't get a turn in. You just didn't get to row. <laughs> Who in the heck loans you $30,000 to go rodeo? What are you talking about? We get done. We're like, this sucks. We're still going to do it. I, I can't stand it. So I just go up to him and I, I am like, is there something wrong with your brain? So we're officially hey, going. Unoffendable. You know, yeah, that that is our that really is our man. The name of the podcast is the Flatbed Podcast, and the reason it's for that is the Flatbed is like <laughs> so. <laughs> we are, as always, brought to you by Classic Ropes and Equinity Products. You guys, if you could go rate and review the podcast, it is a gigantic help. But also, word of mouth is huge. So thank you to everybody who has sent our podcast to their friends or family. Or when you hear something you think is unique, your willingness to send that on has been a giant help. So if you could rate and review, great. But to everybody else, thank you for the help. I don't even know why I'm doing an intro for this. Haley Kinzel, what can you say? Uh, The person that brought sister to the forefront, or maybe sister brought her, I don't know. I don't know what she would say, but... Um, when I was at Las Vegas at the convention center this year, I walked in one day and there was a line clear down the entire side of a wall and around the corner. And I, I just assumed maybe there was somebody from the Yellowstone cast there. Nope. Haley Kinzel. And I tell you, these little girls are like wiping tears away from their eyes. They're so excited. I, the amount of energy that she carries in our industry is absolutely incredible. Cool to watch. Good story. Fun person. One of the people that when you get to know her, you hope that she would have the kind of impact that she has. So here we go. Haley Kinzel. It is a new day at the Flatbed Podcast. Let me tell you what I'm doing to tell you how it affects you. We are going into basically our second season. We're not calling it a season because I don't even know why you would do that. I mean, we're into our second year. That's all that means. We're adding a subscription option. What that means is not you have to pay to listen to every episode, but what we're doing is we're recording bonus content for every episode. With every guest, we're asking stupid questions. We're going completely off script. We're just going according to what we think would be funny. Um, it's just bonus content. And what I what I found is you get a little a little better look into the person that's on the, on the podcast. Instead of being stiff or formal, um, we start off with bonus content. We ask stupid questions. You get the like the live reaction. We've said it's like an ink blot test, right? You just say whatever comes to mind first. I personally have enjoyed it. I've I've loved the bonus content because, like I said, you get to see a different side of whoever's in uh, the studio uh, for the month. It's five bucks for the month for the entire month, which comes out to about like a dollar, a little like a dollar twenty five per episode. So less than a Dr Pepper, you get to listen to all the bonus content. You can click on it and add. Now, here's what this does. By helping fund a little bit of what we're doing, it allows some travel to places that we would like to go. Um, I was watching YouTube last night about the bullfights, and I was like, man, how cool would it be if we could go to Spain someday and talk to the people that run the bullfighting rings, right? Like, go talk to the people that own the horses that are part of that. Like, And I'm only using that as an example. We're not trying to fund a trip to Spain, but... Uh, you know, I would, I would love the option to financially be able to go to the places where things are happening that are interesting outside of maybe just only team roping in Arizona. I know we made a trip to Texas, so... Um, we're adding the subscription site, but the truth is, honestly, even if it was doing nothing but funding my rock star recovery bill every month, um, it, the, the, the content has been fun. It's been a blast. So like I said, $1.25 an episode is what you're, what you're investing. It is super easy. Um, and we haven't had, we haven't had one bonus segment yet that hasn't made everybody laugh. It's been fun. We've enjoyed it. So, uh, what we're going to do is we're going to release three free bonus episodes this week. Give you an idea. Um, we're going to release three of them this week. You can take a look at them, see what you think. But then also after that, it'll be one per episode. We haven't recorded any podcast without also including bonus episodes. So, um, I would encourage you to check it out. It's fun. Um, I, I really do enjoy it. It's something I've actually, it's been a, it's been an addition to the podcast that I've enjoyed. So check it out. The Flatbed Podcast is brought to you by, um, we say companies, we say sponsors, but reality, it's brought to you by other people. 
in the same way that you're sitting here listening to this podcast, there are other people who are investing into this process financially that are bringing this to you so that you can listen to it for free. I love that there are people running companies that have the same shared values that we have in this industry. So when we talk to you about the people that are bringing you this podcast, please understand we're talking about a company, but really what we're talking about is the people. I know you've heard me talk about uh, Aquinity products. Uh, the thing that stands out to me about Aquinity is this for my uneducated brain. It promotes the health of the pituitary gland and the pituitary gland is what heals the body. So instead of putting in a bunch of foreign substances trying to create synthetics, what it does is it goes in and promotes the natural health of the body. Um, we're excited about people like Trevor and Miles and Jordan Briggs and the people that are standing behind these products, Tyler Wade. There's so many people that are seeing the benefits. It improves muscle support for strength and recovery, stronger collagen, healthier coats and bones, uh, maximizes performance with cell regeneration and increases focus and more response. How does it do that? It does that by promoting the things that make your horse healthy. John Dowdy and his gang are great guys. I would love if, if you see them out somewhere, I know for a fact they'd love if you came and introduced yourself. The 30-day challenge where you get to take pictures of before and after, that's important so that you can see the results. So check them out, teamaquinity.com. <laughs> awesome. Okay, well, we can actually officially start. Haley, um, let me tell you. I thought that was it. I thought that was the podcast. Yeah, I, we're that done. was pretty well, good. Set this stuff down. We get back to work. Thank you. Uh, I reached out to B because we, we don't know each other. And I, was, yeah. I really wanted a chance to kind of pick your brain, but I know you're probably busy and you're swamped with stuff. And so there's always a little self-conscious like, Ooh, that. so first of all, thanks for jumping on. Yeah. I was in Vegas this year and we're, you know, meeting with booths and part of what we're doing with the, whether it's the podcast, the open calendar stuff that we're doing, is just meeting with companies. Right. And I walked into Cowboy Christmas and all of a sudden there's just a different feel. Like the whole room has a different feel. And I, and I look up and there's a line of people that I haven't seen. I've been there all week. There hasn't been a line of people like this the entire time. Down around the corner, you're rolling your eyes. You're going to have to just sit here and take these compliments for a second. And I'm not saying they're in line. I'm saying these little girls are like maybe tears in their eyes. They're kind of like excited and they're like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. And I, I swear to you, I thought somebody from Yellowstone must be here. <laughs> nope. Haley Kinzel. It has become like this cult following in a fairly short period of time. Yeah. Do you feel that? Oh yeah, and it's weird to feel honestly. Like I, I don't think of myself as anything but myself, and it's so I not you know not the stuff attached to that. Just like the way I grew up, my family. I like to ride horses. I had no idea it was going to come with all this, all this, the following and the stuff. And it's good because it means I'm doing something right in yeah. some way, especially since it's kids. If it was like a line of like grown adults that were getting them for themselves, I, it would be weirder. I'm not going to lie, but, um, they usually are at least getting one for their kid, maybe one for themselves. Okay, but so <laughs> we haven't talked about this and I feel like I need to get this off my chest. I, I have a moment there. of confession here. My daughter was trying to get her into horses. Like neither one of my kids really cared that much about it. So I was explaining to my daughter years ago, we were watching the rodeo and they did like a piece on the Cowboy Channel about Haley Kinzel and sister. Well, that connects. My daughter, who is just like a little ball of energy, when she goes into to go clothes shopping, she'll be there five minutes and she'll have the whole staff working for her. She's just this little ray of sunshine. <laughs> so she's like, that's awesome. So then she's YouTube and, you know, sister videos and things like that. So I'm like, okay, great. Somebody she can connect to. And I think she's like eight or nine at the time. I realize I've talked the most here. This is not how this podcast is going to go. I didn't ask you to do a podcast. It's fine. I'll interview you. <laughs> so I'm at the American and, and uh, we had the steers at the American during the COVID year when it was shut down. And my daughter texts me. She goes, is Haley Kinzel there? And I go, uh-huh. And she goes, you're kidding me. I'm like, no, serious. She's like around you. And I go, uh-huh. 
this is the most embarrassing moment. You know, like the stupid questions when somebody says, what's your most embarrassing moment? I have mm -hmm. to confess this before we go any further. She goes, can you get me a video? I'm like, absolutely not. You know, I'm a grown adult. <laughs> to your point, like if kids are coming up getting autographs, it's cute, right? Like it's cold. I've been working. We've got cattle going everywhere. I've got a beard. I'm this big, dumb stock contractor. And she's like, you got to get me a video. I go, Cody, absolutely not. Zero <laughs> chance. And she goes, like in only, the only person on the planet that could ask me this was like, dad, I'm serious, please. So there was a moment at the American or the AT&T stadium where I was literally holding a phone, trying not to think of how weird it looked. Mm -hmm. As you said, Hey Cody, hope you're doing good. Made my daughter's year. Thank you. And also <laughs> you're half of my life's most embarrassing moment because I was just picturing <laughs> like when people walk by, they're like, what is that guy? Is he that was so to your point, it would be terrible if your following was grown men. Entirely, entirely. And I think a little bit, like you said, it's fine because it's like, you know, dad's got daughters or, you know, wife back home wants to run barrels and stuff. So there's always a little bit of that. And and some people are just genuine fans and that's cool. But if that whole line was that, I don't know if I'd show up. Um, what would you What would you do? Because it could change. Run? I mean, I don't know. <laughs> just not go. Just change, away? Yeah, change careers. <laughs> change career. Find something, anything else I'm good at. Literally anything. I might start a podcast. Um, you could. Hey, um, for the record, you absolutely could. I feel like I say um too much, but that's okay. Um, who, according to who? It's your podcast. You could say um, point. nothing but um. Well, it could so be like here's a, a niche question. Podcast. Do small children listen to podcasts? Because if that's my following, that's who would be listening to my podcast. Does it make you nervous to do a podcast thinking children might listen? Very nervous. Same. Very nervous. Even social media makes me nervous. Everything makes me nervous because a lot of kids have phones that their parents don't police, which was really not a thing when I was younger, which granted, I think Facebook came around when I was like 15. But still, um, when I did get social media and all that, like my parents kept an eye on it. I plugged my phone in the kitchen every night. You know, we didn't just get free reign to everything. And now I feel like a lot more kids do for whether it's emergency purposes or school, they've got an iPhone or an iPad and they've got all these apps and that's so scary to me. I grounded my son from his phone and it took me about 37 seconds to realize he has a phone for my convenience. Because if I need to call him, mm. if I need to check in, see what time to pick him up, if there's something I need done at home, it's so nice to be able to get a hold of him. And so grounding him from his phone is a giant inconvenience for to me. To you. Yeah. <laughs> So, and he's better on it. So if I yeah. like, if I'm like, okay, you can have your phone, but I'm going to put all these restrictions. He's like, you're adorable. As he just like goes and undoes the whole thing. <laughs> yeah. They're smart. Uh, kids are really smart and they've, they've now grown up with them. So it is crazy to me that they have full access to anything that I put out there. So I'm a lot, a lot more careful now about does what that, I do and say. Does that kind of ruin your experience though? Because like you want to interact with like adults and friends and there's something you want to post that's funny, but then you have this social responsibility. There's a bunch of kids. Is it, does social media feel like a prison every now and then? Most definitely. Oh yeah. And now because of a lot of things I've learned over the last few years, there's almost nothing super personal on my social media. Like even my friends that are my actual friends, real corporate. friends. Yeah. I'll ask them before I tag them. Like, cause you're going to get a lot of random accounts following you. They might even be spam. I don't know. But you know, a lot of kids are going to follow you. Are you sure you want that? Or are you okay with me just throwing this picture up, but you don't have to be tagged or whatever. Um, just kind of want to make sure everybody's okay with stuff because it's different. It's not, it's not my friends anymore. My social media is not my friends. Yes, I have friends on there. Yes, I follow my friends, but I have to look at it as like, I'm just basically 
publishing a newspaper every day. And I have no idea whose hands are going to get this. I have no idea what they're going to do with it. Now I can't just, you know, say an opinion about something (laughs) without it becoming a Facebook topic. Um, I can't post who I'm dating. If you say something that becomes a Facebook topic, is there a little, a small vein, and I know you're not supposed to ever admit this, but let's just say hypothetically, is there a little small vein that kind of enjoys watching how crazy it goes with (laughs) what this must mean or what that, but do you want, look at the comments? There sh- probably should be. Um, Didn't you post I, something this year at San Antonio? Oh, yeah, San Antonio um, about the parking that, you know, a lot of people did not like because now I'm an entitled parking princess, uh, which is fine. But, uh, yeah, I, there's sometimes I want to know what people are saying. I've learned something about myself that is if I read comments, I tend to get this high when you read something good about yourself. You read somebody that pats you on the back, whether it's somebody you know or don't. And there's this small, like, yes, like, you're with me. Mm -hmm. Then I read something that's negative, and there's this small, like, eh, who are they? And why are they being rude? Or I thought they liked me, or something like that. And so if I care at all, like, at all, about the good one, I'm also going to care about the negative. So I make myself not read pretty much anything, because I know that I'm going to have this shift up and down every time I do. So I really try, like, it's fine that you want to agree with me, and you want to say, you know, she's a nice person, I appreciate that, but I'm not even going to go read it anymore, because now I know my sensitivity level to both. Well, it becomes a hamster wheel. It does. Both ways. So do you think that there's somebody out there who has been like, just rigorously posting support for Haley Kinzel that is now like, she's not even reading them like this. You might've just ruined someone's social media. Oh, seriously. Uh, No, there's definitely those. There's ones that, you know, the, the constant messages I've gotten this message from a couple people and the only ones I really see are Instagram, but, um, cause they, the way that it comes into your message deal, but they, they send these messages that are like, I've been supporting you for so long and you don't even care. Like they're like, I send you all these great messages and you don't ever respond. And I wanted to respond to be like, no, I don't, but I can't respond because I can't respond to any of them. So yeah, that it is, I'm sure it's disheartening to some people in that way. So when I do see them in person and you get the line of kids and they're like, I've been following you, that's my time to say thank you and say like, thanks for supporting. I appreciate that. Take time out and make that the priority so people feel seen. Definitely. Well, if it was like, I think like Serena Williams playing tennis, right? When you see her playing tennis, she's playing tennis with one person, and it's amazing. Mm-hmm. But if all of her fans wanted to play tennis with her, and they all played at one time, it would look like an assault. <laughs> She'd be like, why are all those millions of people hitting tennis balls at her? Until she's like, ah. Exactly, <laughs> and she starts to, to hate anymore. it. Yeah. yeah. And that's a visual representation of what does actually happen digitally. Yeah, Pretty true. soon, you're just overwhelmed by it, and you're like, I just don't want to do this anymore. That's very true. And it honestly, at times, it has made me hate running barrels not that i would ever it seems like those two should not be even closely connected like running barrels and social media should not be connected but to your point mentally when it's such attacks that carries with you no matter what you're doing it does i've gone through periods where i have to check myself and remember that that's totally unrelated it is a product of running barrels it's a product of having success which i am grateful for but like i said i just never knew what it was going to come with and i have to separate the two very firmly in my mind um even when you're at a jackpot and you get you're warming up you're focused on your horse you get asked to take a picture it's not a you have some stock contractor that's like hey 
I'm super creepy. Can you take a video? Of yeah, there's that guy. It, <laughs> hey, just be grateful. You're not the stock contracted that like is at the back of the alley and they're calling you in and you're going in your hats down and you're on a young horse cause you're at a circuit rodeo. And he says, that's not sister. And you're like, I have spent my whole day preparing myself to run this horse. And you just interrupted me to remind me that I'm not on her right now. Listen, in fairness, hold on though. In fairness. Do you ever hear boos from the stands when you come flying in the arena on something not sister and people are like waiting all day mentally preparing themselves that they're going to get to watch sister because they've looked and you're up? Like, do you ever get this sense of like, you're cheating. You're cheating on sister. What is this? <laughs> Can I be honest? They should really look at the listing and see how much is added before they wonder what horse <laughs> I'm going to ride. <laughs> That's just my flat way of saying that. Uh, <laughs> you want to see sister there at rodeos for that. Yeah. Does it pay? Um, no, honestly, it is. I'm sure it's a weirdness for them. And, and kids uh, will come out to a slack to find you and they heard you're running and then they do get some disappointment because they ask, where is she? And it's like, she's not even here. They just man. instantly hate you your new horse, no matter how nice, no matter how green, whatever mm -hmm. they're like, Ugh. it's sad. It's kind of like when your friend shows up with his new girlfriend after a divorce and you're like, how dare you? Right. And it's not even really her fault. Yeah, it's yeah, not. Yeah. Yeah. The new horse is like, what did I do? I was, I'm just learning. I'm trying. Yeah. <laughs> I rode a yellow mare last year, the last couple of years named Jules. And a lot of people would just assume like, so is this sister? But they would kind of look at her funny. Like it's a little different. So they're like, is this sister? I and I'd like say you no. Have a type, Haley. It, seriously, I did for a second. And they were like, you know, I said, no, it's not her. And they, oh, and I'm like, well, her name is Jules and she has feelings too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Look at this stupid horse trying to be sister. And not even doing very good. You're not sister. Go so away. Sad. It's really sad. But then there's ones that I have a little bay mare I've been riding and I take her around and kids will come up and say, so is this sister? And I'm like, no. oh yeah. Oh yeah. So then you realize how little is actually known. They know that there's a Haley and there's a sister and they might recognize one of us. Maybe. Yeah. At what point to that, to that point, because that's what you talk about being a brand. It's not because somebody intimately personally knows you or knows what your personality is like, or is going to like actually call you on your birthday. The type of relational stuff that you get from a community, you don't get any of that when you become a brand. You have to probably really carve out spaces for those types of people because if somebody really loves you they're going to make a point to stay out of your way and that is that that can be super isolating because you're like wait the people i want to see i never see and so what's left is everybody just comes flooding in is that yes. fair to say so at what point did you feel like that it started to go from like Haley kinzel the girl that might show up like at a college party and say hi and everybody's friend to this brand that's like a larger than life because in some circles you're bigger than rodeo right now that's a good point and I really don't know when the switch was I, I guess it must have been gradual or I was just really oblivious to it because I didn't still, see it coming yeah I think I'm still oblivious to it because there are a lot of times I get somewhere just to do exactly that to say hi and see friends and it I was in a friend's wedding a couple weeks ago I might have took more pictures than the bride. I'm not kidding. Like it was yeah, odd. And it's just. What do you do with that? Yeah, you're in a personal setting. You don't think anything of it. And I'm did not offended. White? I did not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, was, I was dressed like a bridesmaid, I swear. But, oh, it, it is strange. Um, because like I said, I still think of myself really, really normalized. I have to remind myself that sometimes I'm not going to be and that's okay. And just kind of back to the competing thing. Don't really associate them together. If you're at a social setting or with friends and something totally separate from rodeo, maybe you're not dressed and people recognize you, it's like you press pause on whatever it is that you're doing, 
You do that. You become the job. You become the brand for a second. You do the brand thing. And then you pause that and go back to your life. Kind of the same as running barrels. You're warming up. You're focused. You're tuning your horse. Kid asks for a picture. You press pause. Don't uh, don't let them blend. Like that's a mental tax. It's been a really hard job to learn in terms of discipline, but it's been really good for me to learn that if I can control that switch in my head, then I don't let it affect my mood and I don't let it affect my it's running exactly barrels. exactly like a horse, like an on and off, like pressure release, right? And maybe that's, if I'm hearing what you're saying, there's like that off button and on button and you know when to turn it on. It like becomes an actual task. Then it's not just get bled in and out like just to a dull gray. And if I don't turn it on and off it does take a toll on whatever I'm trying to enjoy, whatever I'm there to do. Not because I dislike whatever that is, but because that's not why I showed up. I I showed up to be a friend or I showed up to to work this cult or I showed up to go win the rodeo. I didn't show up to do all this extra, but it's part of it. So I just have to recognize that and not let it ever make me feel like it's a bad thing because it's not, you know? When you see a picture of Britney Spears with her umbrella bashing out a window in 2007, just full, like, head shave meltdown, has there ever been a time where you're like, Dude, I get it. No, I'm just saying, <laughs> I just won't tell you about the pictures of me there are out there. <laughs> when the actual crazy Is she kicks okay? off. Yeah. <laughs> when, do you remember the first time, because I think a little girl growing up, riding her little pony across the pasture, dreaming of being Haley Kinzel. And I'm sure you had those moments, people that you aspired to be and things like that. Do you remember the first moment that it was a negative and you're like, oh, wait a minute. Uh, this might have been more than I realized. 2018, going into my second NFR, I was winning the world. I was the first time I was going in number one. The first year I came in, almost accidentally made the finals. Had a great freaking time because I was so oblivious to the pressure, had no idea. And it wasn't that I felt pressure competing at that point. I feel like that came a little later, like after winning a world title. It was more that I felt like people were pulling at me Mm. from every direction. And I was 23, and I was like... I had this meltdown with my mother in the kitchen about like, I did not know that wanting to win came with this. And she said, you know, in some ways it didn't used to because there wasn't social media. Right. But but then again, I remember asking Sherry Servey for a picture at San Antonio when I was a kid going to rodeo. We were at the trade show and she was walking around with Corey and he walks around a corner and she's waiting on him. And I recognized her. This was 2011. You know, Facebook had barely been around. And I asked her for a picture, and she was not in her cowgirl clothes. She's probably thinking, why does this kid know what I actually look like? I just wanted to shop for a second. So I've been, I've done it. You know, I, I can't necessarily say I've been as bold as some of these kids are. What's like, the worst one? What's the one that stands out as the worst experience? Oh, uh, 2020 going through a major personal matter and getting a million DMs asking what was going on. (sighs) Like when people ask you, did you get a divorce or why, why did things not work out or whatever? Pause. Can you put yourself in someone's mental headspace when they're sitting there at some sort of a computer or phone, some sort of a keyboard typing out the words D I D space. Why (laughs) can you put yourself in a mental headspace? It's like, what were they well, did they did they think that you were gonna like they were gonna become your confidant? You're like, man, this is hugely personal. Uh, like all the catastrophe that comes with personal issues in life, that you're gonna be like, you know what? I'm so glad you asked. No one, <laughs> no one has reached out, and I was just hoping somebody would pry. <laughs> so 
little bit. It made it made me discuss it with my friends and say, okay, those celebrities, Britney Spears, if I had seen her and I knew that she had some breakup with some boyfriend or whatever, would I have been so gutsy to walk up to her and just ask? Probably not. I don't think I had the the guts, which I do think social That's media access is a bad thing though, because that. you don't know who you're giving access to. Yeah. Like it might literally be somebody who this is, this is not to be ugly. You just don't know. It might be somebody who has like some, some mental stuff going on, or maybe there's some health issues going on, but you don't see them. If you knew them, cause like if somebody walked up to you on the street and they had a little something going on and they asked you something like that, it wouldn't be personally offensive. Cause you're like, Oh, you're like, you know, you got your thing going on. Right. Yeah. But you don't see all that. You just see the words and a picture and you think of them as being like a normal person that's asking questions like that. And it feels just so intrusive and so invasive. It's very awkward in that position because you're trying to, you know, present your brand, but now you realize that your brand is almost being infiltrated everywhere by people who want to be closer. And that is initially what a lot of people do want is they want a piece of it. They want a piece of your life, your success, whatever. And that's understandable. Everybody wants to feel related. They want to tell you, I've been told that sister grew up in somebody's backyard in Mississippi because somebody somewhere told somebody somewhere that that happened. Well, that's their story. They tell everyone. And it's that's like their, their story. Favorite. It's like their sailborne story. It's just and the then thing they, they, they love <laughs> And then I'm thinking, no, I hate to crush your story, but you know, things like that, they just want to have some relation to it. And when they see a hole, I think they think of this can be my spot. This can yeah. be where I fit in. It is wild because my personality could never, right? I could never reach out to somebody like that. I think like at best, I like, I'm going to remind myself not to talk about their problem and to remind myself to pray for their problem. But that's about it. That's where we stop. And so it is very odd. That's when I learned that my social media, anything else is never going to be personal again. You're never going to know a personal detail. Yeah, you may get a couple day in the life type of things, but there's never going to be some background information that could turn bad because what if this happens in, in any other way? What if something goes wrong and then it's an attack on me? It may not seem like an attack from their side, but that's how it feels on your side. Perspective is such a hard thing to give, right? Very like it's so. an easy thing to have. It's an impossible thing to give. I was almost in the opposite. Like when I was pastoring, I felt like there was like a sign on my forehead that said, tell me your most personal intimate problems <laughs> upon meeting. <laughs> and I didn't want to know. Like it wasn't, it wasn't that I didn't care. But like, so church is over and there's a line, you know, people wanting to say hi or whatever, and they'll just lead with something that's just terribly intimate and personal. Mm -hmm. And you're like, I don't have the, I don't have the space. Not only, not only am I, I'm not one to pry, like, tell me all your, you know, personal details. Not, but second of all, I don't know really how to navigate that when someone is just trying to give you something valuable. That's really what it is, right? They're trying to give you something valuable as a basis for the relationship or connection. And I recognize that, but then you're like, there's no way I can honor how serious of an issue this is in your life accurately. And if there's 650 people here this weekend, I already know it's inadequate. You will never get that sense of satisfaction. A little girl sending you a message or I'm sitting here looking at fan letters on your table. There's not enough of you to parse out where each person feels like that they got an adequate amount of connection. Because what I know about this is you try and you're like, okay, well, here's what's actually going on in my life. Say you just had a freak out one day and you're like, all right, fine. I'm just going to answer your questions. <laughs> Pretty soon they're like, can I come over and talk about it? You know what? Sure. Come on over. Can I ride sister? 
can I have sister? Can I have your house? Eventually what it would lead to, like, will you move out? So can I just live your life? Can I wear your skin and you die and I become you? And you're like, okay, so it never goes anywhere positive. Mm. Like there's never a limit where someone's like, you know, you've really given me a lot of access. Thank you. I'm going to chill out. There's never a pause. And the people you really would have that are life giving see that it's like the imposter syndrome. The people that are the most qualified or least likely to give advice. People who are the least qualified are the most likely to give advice because they don't know. I would imagine there are people that are like life-giving type people that see this happening that would actually be a benefit and you're like, that are like, I'm just going to give you some space. I'm just going to leave mm. you to tend with the crazies all by yourself. <laughs> 100%. And my, my closest friends see that daily. And I would, I would venture to bet as a pastor, people look at you in a way that says, if former, I could say, former, former pastor, <laughs> of course, um, this guy is going to have something to say back to me that I need to hear if I, if I spill this. He's going to have some perfect, quick wisdom that's just going to change my life. But you can't because you're not in a state to take this in, to pray about this, to, to go to the Word, to really actually dive into it. You don't have taglines. You don't have anything that you just spit back. Well, I'm the same way in when people come up and ask, you know, here, this is your biggest fan. Okay, take a picture. All right, tell her how to be successful like you. This is coming from, you know, dad with the camera. Yeah. T- tell her what, what what's the trick? What's the secret? What's the trick? What does she need to know to be just like you? And How the kids staring. And give everything to her. Seriously, the kids staring up at you, grinning ear to ear because she's just met you and waiting. You're ex- about to change her life. Oh my gosh, there's this expectation on you to do for her what dad can't do yeah. and what parents want so bad for their kid to have. And you're looking at them like, I don't have a quick off the cuff response. Do you want to come live with me for the last 28 years to figure out how I got here? Because right. it, you're going to hate it. Yeah. <laughs> but See, you can but try. That's the thing. I think if people knew the answer, what they would find is it's less magic. It's more elbow grease. And most people would go, I, I don't really want it that bad. It's not what I want. Then I really don't want that bad. You know, I think, um, I mean, I don't know. Cause what I don't want to do is go into jaded or critical. I, I just don't want to be that way. And I right. think I've, I've struggled with that. I want to be what I am without being against what I'm not. Mm-hmm. But when I was a pastor, I would literally spend 60 or 70 hours a week so that I could have something that lasted about 35 minutes. Like a sermon <laughs> was about 35 minutes. But what I never wanted to do, because I figured if let's take the average of, say, there was 500 people, each of them investing an hour in their time, that's 500 human hours invested into being in that room. And all I was able to give back was 60 or 70. But that was the best I could do. And I really tried to honor that. So to have something to say that was like, man, that was really good. Well, it, I had to go dig it up. I had to go work for it. Like there was nothing surface level. And I, I from a barrel racing standpoint or rodeo perspective or, or pastoring or life in general, I think that's where you're just a constant disappointment to people. Not you, no offense. But the reason you are going to be a constant disappointment to people is what people are looking for doesn't exist. Because service level is never, never meaningful. It, it's never what you actually, what actually works, what actually gets you there and gets you over the goal. So why, why people approach it that way, I don't know. I think because it would be more convenient. Yes, you will be a constant disappointment. It's sad to be. I remember. <laughs> I signed up to be hated by everyone. Oh, Yay. gosh. I was a girl. I vividly remember this one interaction. I think because it went on for a long time, I was at a barrel race and she kind of kept following me around and kept asking teenage girl. And she kept giving me all of her reasons why it wouldn't work for her. She, well, she doesn't have the money. Well, her parents don't support her. Well, she doesn't have a truck, but she's working three jobs. 
but how do you get there? But with all, well, I can't do that because of this, but how do I get there? Well, I can't do that. And I would give her something else. Well, no, I can't do that. That is because I don't have this. And I finally said, everybody struggles. It's hard for all of us. I know you want to be, you want it to be really hard for you. And therefore it's going to take more for you. And there's going to need to be some secret for you because of your background. But you know, everybody came from something hard. I don't know what it is, but everyone struggles. Well, I can guarantee you this. It wasn't sadness and negativity that got people out of those situations. So if you're harboring that, that's not your friend. Exactly. One of my favorite Tom Segura lines is he goes, have you ever talked to somebody so dumb, it feels like they've poisoned you and you (laughs) sit there and you're like, I don't feel good. And it's your fault. (laughs) Oh, that's so true. I wish there were times where you're like, I've, I've literally my, my little cup, my little cup of this, it's empty. There's nothing left in it. I've given you all I got. Yep. I hope it works. But if it doesn't, I got nothing to pull from. If it doesn't, I've got to go back to the people that do pour life into me and positivity into me to refill that cup. Yeah, and I have to do that right now because you've literally just <laughs> emptied it. Yeah, Who I need to go reset. People? Like, what's your what is your, what does the social circle look like for? Because, like you said, there's a brand. Is it like a burner Instagram account? Do you have like a fake <laughs> Instagram account where you can like hang out with your friends and be normal? It's like my couple group texts with my couple friends where I like actually do screenshot the stuff I don't like and send it to them. Just be like, ah, look at this. <laughs> I feel no. like if you did have a burner account, maybe this wouldn't be the right platform to talk about it so my Facebook my personal Facebook actually got hacked in December during the NFR I really don't know what happened it was amazing it was (laughs) it was divine intervention if I have ever heard of it okay because it was about round six and I don't get on my personal Facebook during the finals my friend shares stuff to it though but it is the or it was oops it was the primary account linked to my my Facebook fan page. So thankfully I had a couple friends on it that will help me post from time to time. So I have this one friend, um, my best friend Paige, and I was shooting her stuff throughout the week. Throw this up, please throw this up. And she's, you know, in the middle of the night posting, here's your shining the next day. And at some point somebody said, I got a spam message from you. You need to check your personal Facebook. Well, I hadn't been on it. So I go to get on it. I'm already deleted. It, within 12 no, hours, Facebook removed my account and I can't get it back, which I'm kind of laughing at. Like, There's well, a little party. like, all right. It's good. Yeah, that's fine. I don't really need it, except uh, I did kind of need it because I had a couple other pages that now I have zero access to. But um, I'm now at six months of not having a Facebook and I don't miss it. Just throwing that out you there. Never I got have it yet back. to get it back. I, I don't think I can get it back. I think it's gone. My brother works in tech and he's been trying to talk to people overseas about this one Facebook that was like, hey, this was not her. Like it's whatever. And it's gone, gone. So there's a little part of you that's just like, just so don't, don't listen to him. Don't so give it to thrilled. him. Don't let him find it. Don't oh, let him have it back. <laughs> I don't exactly. And honestly, the only thing I miss about it is finding like jackpot information because producers only put stuff on Facebook now instead of websites. Okay. Let me ask you something. Have you ever heard of ropingcalendar.com? Okay. No. Do they have jackpots on there too? Like barrel races? Okay. Breaking news here. <laughs> you ready for this? This is cutting edge material. We started a website in Arizona and you can look up by the date. You can look up by the event, team open barrel racing, whatever the case may be. You can look up by arena. So if you wanted to say like, Hey, what's going on at 377, you click on their tab and all their events show up. The team opens, you can search by jackpot number and we are expanding to Texas. So why, why did you say roping calendar? If this is about going to have barrel racing, why did you segregate it like that? Well, okay. Here's the thing. It's, it's very important. Roping calendar was the most simple website that was available. <laughs> we're in Arizona. I knew that was coming. We're in Arizona. Like we're dealing with a high number of blue hairs who are like, I use a magazine and a piece of paper. Like that's yep. fine. That's fine. My grandpa, <laughs> this is a true story. My grandpa, when in his later years would get mad at me because he thought I ruined his remote. And so I would have to drive to his house, fix his remote, 
And then he'd call me. I live five minutes away. It wouldn't be a big deal. So finally what I did is I took a piece of tape. And I taped over his entire remote and I just cut out on, off, channel volume. I'm like, these are your buttons. If it's under tape, don't push it. So when we created the website, it was literally designed with my grandpa in mind of like, there's four tabs, date, location, event type, roping, like jackpot number. So we wanted to make it simple, but now we've got barrel races and things like that. So, Perfect. so to your point, a little shout out for roping calendar. Um, it, we're going to end up in Texas too. So what Good. would be nice is if you have a little website, you can go what barrel racings are today and it just pops up and you go, okay, what location you want to go to? So that does sound really nice because I've tried that with the current ones and usually that just info's not on there or if it gets canceled, you don't find out unless you happen to pre-enter and well, the lady Facebook, remembers to text Facebook you. Facebook algorithm's weird because you may it's not even weird. see the, the flyer for that day. You go to their page and it's like buried under a lot of other stuff or whatever. It is so. very hard to keep track of. So the only reason there may be a new Facebook of me um, would be for no that. No one's going to believe it because it'd be like, this is Haley Kinzel. She has three followers. People are like, nah. Seriously. And it might actually have the name, like something along the lines of, I'm, I'm toying with it, but like, don't how does, say it, don't how say does, it out loud. Well, if you're going to, if you're, are you wanting to like hide and have like your own personal account? Or it won't want- actually happen. So I can say it. <laughs> Karen Medler. Um, cause Karen Medler could go comment whatever she wants, however she actually feels on anything and they won't actually know it's me, you're but I can't do, do that because it's going to get discovered. You're going to do it. So this I'm, is going to happen. I wish I was, if I was actually that harsh, I would. But there are times where I'm thinking, I talk to my actual friends, my close circle, my mom, whatever, and say, this is what I wish I could freaking say. And I'm thinking, if I had that fake account, I would do it. Problem is, back to the hamster wheel, you would love it. And oh, I would enjoy it. addicted to it. And then you have black rings around your circles. And then the horses aren't getting red. And people are doing wellness checks. <laughs> exactly. It just so- it's not a good thing. And that's <laughs> the bad. moral of the story. Why it'll never happen. It why it, worse. Yeah, you can't get wrapped up in it. As much as I would love to go read every Facebook fight, I've also enjoyed so much peace from not knowing. Yeah, I've had friends ask though, me. The funny ones that talk crap on social media, they're genuinely funny. They are hilarious. The, the most creative people in the world are on social media, and some of the comebacks are just hilarious. But the problem is, it's like they're hidden jewels in a pile of just garbage. And so then you have to read the garbage to find the cool stuff. It's like you Sadly. feel like a raccoon. And he's a rating. You know what they need is a rating system where you can rate someone who's really funny. That's and a then good only one. go through like top rated comments of people <laughs> that are actually funny. I like this. I'm going to pitch this to people I know that do these sort of things because (laughs) all of our tight friends. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, Hey, I mean, I do. I want to see the funny ones. Funny. This person is very political. Down. Very. Yeah. Let's get rid of that guy. We don't need more political. This person doesn't use complete sentences and it drives me up the wall. (laughs) (laughs) So social, we got way off track, but like, what does a social circle look like for you now? I mean, what is, what does a friend group look like? Oh, it's pretty small. Um, only a few that act that rodeo or that run barrels I should say um a, a few token guy friends too that do rodeo because I think those are important to know they're they are in the midst of what's going on and that's really really helpful but it's also really important to me to cultivate my friendships that are outside of rodeo that like have been are, around like who are your buds um Paige another girl named Haley um and the girl named Emily none of them rodeo anymore you grew up junior rodeo and great they're my close friends that kind of get it, but also can remove me from it. Yeah, they can just be like, machine. yeah, this is not, you know, it's not you or this isn't where you came from. And that's fine. Like they remind me that like, I can just be me. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there's my friends, um, Ivy Sabins, Emily Miller, um, so many good guys. So, so many good guys. I always hate quick tangent, how rodeo guys get talked about is like, Oh, they're 
terrible, never, never be friends with them, never date them. Oh my gosh, some of the greatest guys in the world do this sport because they work harder. Shout they them get out. It. Like, who? like, who do you think of when you think of that? Because I, I agree. I think there are great guys that get skipped over in the social setting of conversation. Amazing. They're like, I am sure by now you've heard me talk about unbeatable feeds. It's a beet pulp pellet produced by a company that produces 70% of the beet pulp sugar in the U.S. The byproduct is the feed that we're feeding to our horses and cattle. The benefits are unreal, but you can check them out at unbeatablefeeds.com. They're they're available at Tractor Supply. You can get them at Tractor Supply. If you go into Tractor Supply and they don't have it, they can order it. They can put you on a waiting list and have it shipped to them. Um, but the, the, to me, the most remarkable part of this company for all the benefits that we're seeing in our animals are the people standing behind it. Brian Edwardson and his team, Jason Stewart, the people that they've got standing behind this company are stand-up people. Brian is absolutely a game changer in our industry. He used to study commodities for big agricultural companies, and he's bringing all of that to the Western industry. We are all better for having him on our side. So uh, check him out, unbeatablefeeds.com. We live in one of the hottest real estate markets in the Western industry here in Wickenburg. It can be confusing. I know that people from out of town go, okay, where does everything happen? What's in the middle of things? What's the dark side of the moon? Let me tell you, Erin Freeman, she's not only a friend, she is an absolute professional in the real estate industry. You can find her at Erin Freeman Properties on Facebook. You can check her out at erinfreeman.realtor on Instagram and TikTok. Here's what I like about Erin. She is from a team roping family. She understands that when you call and say you're looking for arena, you don't mean a riding pin. When you say I'm looking for something with stalls, it doesn't mean four panels chained together. She understands the industry, but she also understands the, the, the lifestyle. One of the things I'll say about Erin, like I said, not only is she great, I don't know if she'd want me saying this, she also kind of keeps her finger on the rental industry too. So if you're looking for a rental, maybe not officially, but I can tell you she knows where it's at. She's also brutally honest. She will tell you exactly what's happening in the industry. If you're too high, if you're too low, if what you're looking for is achievable, if she has in her inventory what you're looking for, you will get an honest assessment from somebody who not only understands what you're looking for, but where to find it. Check her out, Aaron Freeman. You guys, times are changing. We have got technology available to you. When you get to Arizona, you can find your roping. You can find the date, you can find the location, you can even search the website by what jackpot number team roping you're looking for. Ropingcalendar.com. It is a subscription base. You go, oh, well, so is the magazine, dude. Like you can buy a magazine or you can buy the website. So it's not like there's a free option anymore. Ropingcalendar.com, the difference being, you can look for only what you wanna find instead of looking through all the other ads that you didn't wanna find. So if you think about it, if your time's worth anything, we're paying you back. So check it out, ropingcalendar.com. Because I, I agree. I think there are great guys that get skipped over in the social setting of conversation. Amazing. They're like Peyton and Brenton. Peyton and Wyatt, right? I don't, I don't know Brenton as well, but Brenton and his wife must be freaking awesome because I listen to their podcast. And I'm just, I'm, I'm fans of those kind of people. Um, Leighton Berry, Cole Reiner, um, every single one of the Wright family, like, all of them, um, just, just solid folks that like people want to say, Oh, well they girls want to say, Oh, well they wouldn't date me. So they're not a very nice person. <laughs> Honestly, that or, leaves the door open for a lot of guys, honey. Seriously. <laughs> it's most of them. And I'm like, well, I don't freaking blame them. You're nuts. But also they are in the midst of a lot of things going on that can be perceived as negative, whether it's just them winning and people are looking to tear them down right. or, they're totally just 
in a sport that has old reputations for negativity. But my mom and I were talking about this recently. I don't watch football, but like the Super Bowl that happened, there were the two quarterbacks. Did you just say the Super Bowl that happened? Are you 100? I'm, I'm dead serious. You're like a, I, that's like a grandma. That I don't know Super what, Bowl that happened? What channel was that it on, honey? It wasn't an event. It's a yearly thing. Is it actually every year? Well... The one Sorry, that was in, wasn't in February, yeah. it was in Phoenix. Okay, well, that's good to know. All I know about it, all I know, there were two guys, quarterbacks on each team. After whoever won, <laughs> dead serious, after whoever won, this is amazing. both of them in every interview complimented the other team and yeah. complimented their own team. They were constantly saying, we played great games. They played better. They were saying, you know, Hey, we played a great game. We won, but man, that team was amazing. Right. And I'm just noticing like this young group of men in sports rising above the crap, yeah, the, you know, right. and not really getting recognized for it because people are so busy looking at all of it's the other stuff. It's not as entertaining. To no, be, to be not. fair, it's not, it, 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 the culture needs to kind of shift. It's gotten, it's gotten weird. But the, the problem is there's no precedence of social media. Mm-hmm. We've never had a generation before us go, hey, this is where that leads. We are the pioneers, right? I say we, I'm a hundred years old. <laughs> I mean, like this generation is pioneering a kind of a new movement. A new movement. We don't know where the ditches are. We don't know where, like what it leads to or how bad it can be. And so maybe it's starting to swing back to where just because it's entertaining doesn't mean it needs all the attention. Oh, that's so true. And that's hard because the more social media gets involved, the more trends are a thing. And they, those accounts know what sells. They know what pings. Yes. They, you know, promoting whatever gets most attention. Yeah. And fair, you know, I get, I get it because they know that posting a video of so-and-so doing such and such is cooler than this guy over here. But is that really the content we should be putting out there? You know, is it really authentically rodeo? Is it actually what these people are like? Or are we just trying to sell our sport to people who just want to feed into the drama and the intensity and the exciting stuff? So who's doing a good job then if people are like, okay, I want better substance. Like I want actual substance that's not just hype. Mm, Who's doing a good job with that? Um, I've enjoyed the brands themselves highlighting, um, endorsees that are, that are killing it. Um, naming off, let's just call it what it is. Classic equine is the best at it. You are not wrong. They're the best at staying above the entertainment. They're Mm -hmm. not for entertainment. They're not trying to sell what's hot right now. They're trying to say, this is amazing. Did you see this? Did you know this person is also amazing? And watch them win. Yeah. And they've really done a great job of it. Um, I, I think there's a there's a ton that I could really name off. But like in all honesty, from the bottom of my heart, they do things that I've never seen anybody else do because they've never let themselves get caught up in the hype of what sells. There's a there's a guy, he's actually a Buddhist, but he's got a podcast and I love his name. is John Vervecki. And he talks about the ne- the necessary function of story in a culture throughout history, villages all the way back into an- ancestry, that until a culture understands the story that they're trying to tell, they can't really categorize what's good and what's bad. Mm. Because like if you're driving down the road and you're focusing on the bolt that's holding the sign in place, you've missed the function. The sign is telling you a story. And if you understand the story, you instantly, your brain knows how to map patterns and things like that. And it'll tell you, this is important. This isn't important. I don't need to focus on the bolts holding the sign up. I need to focus on what the signs tell me. Right. And it feels to me like classic equine does a good job of telling the story of good people do the right thing, 
quality decisions. Ken, I asked Ken one time, I was like, why do you do this job? And his answer, I loved his answer. He goes, man, when people make horses do stuff, like roll back and all that, man, that's just cool. <laughs> and I sat there and I was like, I can't tell if that was a simple answer or like a super complex, like because it's cool and we like it and we like good people. But they tell that story so well that if somebody's acting like a complete moron, you don't have to think, is this okay or not? You know the story they're trying to tell and you instinctively go, that doesn't match that. Mm-hmm. So the ability to tell the story really does matter. It does. The ability to and the consistency to. Because you know going to an account like that for information, you're not going to see fluff. And that's the hard part about some of the others right now in our industry that are just trying to gain the following. Like it, they're full of fluff. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I had a moment where I was like, oh my gosh, she's going to say what? <laughs> <laughs> I thought about it, but then again, I'm like, uh, okay. Well, I, to be fair, to be fair, there are several. They'll know. They'll know. They'll know. If you look at the account, you know that you're you're on there to see results and to see cool runs, and you're not seeing results in cool runs. You're seeing somebody walking through a flame of fire because they think it's going to, you know, get some likes and it's shares. Just yeah. And that's hard for me because I'm a very plain like what you see is kind of what you get person, and I see that that. I'm attracted to the authenticity and the simplicity and the no fluff, leave the fluff alone. Because I think over time, your following becomes either the people that are interested in this subject itself or they're interested in the stuff that's around it. And you get to choose who your following is. Jason Warner, a friend of mine from Utah, said this. He said, I want to surround myself with people that I can lose to. What I mean by that is when we have a horse deal that they get the better end of it. When we go to dinner that I buy, he goes, I make a point to try to surround myself with, I, I, or what I guess somebody said is, I'd make a point to try to lose around my friends. Because if I'm around people who have to win against me constantly, that are competitive with me, you surround yourself with thieves. You mm-hmm. eventually, it goes down that road till eventually you have to lock all your doors and watch your back. If you go down the road of like, I'm trying to lose, I'm trying to make sure somebody else gets the better end of this deal. Like I want to be a giver in my friendships you find yourself in a community of people like yourself where you feel enriched and loved and supported. And the older I get, the more I realize how important that is. So when I hear what you're saying about like substance being important, that if you will consistently tell that story over and over again, those kinds of people will kind of filter their way in. And the people who want whatever's cool or new or exciting, they'll eventually kind of filter their way out. And you find yourself in a community that reflects your actual self. What I feel sorry for is people that don't do that that they just kind of sell out to everything you're talking about and the people that leaves that, that leaves them surrounded with is it's it's a rough life because they've essentially decided to follow you which it, you can consider social media a, a form of this extra large group of friends or acquaintances <laughs> they've decided to become your extra large group of friends or acquaintances because of the drama that you bring to the table yeah. I would rather they become my extra large group of friends and acquaintances because of the substance I bring to the table, because I inspire them to be better than me. And if I'm not pushing my close friends to be better than me, if I'm not elevating them to a level where I think they can kick my ass anywhere we go, then I'm not being a good friend. That's so good. And if, and if they get there, I would like to be able to beat them at their best, but I'm not going to be tearing them down so that I can feel empowered. It always scares me when you see a person in real life and you recognize that, man, everyone around them is less talented than them. Why is that? Because they, they need to, to feel powerful. You can see the same thing on social media with the same people. This is the person who 
you know, owns everything and is winning and is doing this and winning in whatever way, whether it's business success or money or relationships or actually in the arena, the people around them are not on that level. And I've become more sensitive to it over time because I think I feel convicted myself to make sure I'm not that person to make sure I'm not the person that has to be better than my friend next to me. Because if so, that's a pretty shady way of winning. <laughs> and that's the same yeah, way you well, can conduct a, it's yourself. It's a bad life result. Like, even if you do win, you're going to be by yourself. You're going to be by yourself when you're around people. You were constantly, like, you're constantly isolated, even when you're around people, because the real substantive people have already moved on. Yeah, absolutely. So tell me, in your opinion... I, I don't, I'll be honest, I really don't know that much about barrel racing. So I'm going to try to ask some <laughs> barrel racing questions. Good and you're luck. just going to have to be patient. Okay. Who is the best barrel racer that has never won a gold buckle? Uh, off the top of my head, I think Lisa Lockhart, as far as the most consistency and wins over time, but, and has been in a position to win a couple, but hasn't yet. It's weird that she hasn't. Like, it's I know sad. nothing about barrel racing. Sure. I know that that's to be true. Um, it kind of, to me, that it just proves how hard it is. You see yeah. somebody like that that's been making the finals 16 consecutive years and has not yet won a gold buckle, it makes it time, not easy. It's weird. It's almost like there's people that get in the habit of winning gold buckles. There were years, like I remember the CAFR Open during the Fred and Cody years. It was like everything that would, like, speed, speed and rich, you yeah. know, their, their dominant terror. Like, it was almost like they just got in a habit of winning a gold buckle. And then you almost forget how hard that actually is. Because like you said, you see careers like... You know, in my era, it was like a Blair Burke that rode mm. here forever and was close, never got it done. Lisa that hasn't won one yet. Um, you know, what are the, in your mind, what are the breaks that keep that from going that direction? For barrel racing, I, I do think it comes down to the horse and a whole lot of luck. Some things just have to run, go right. Um, Lisa's husband, Grady, told me at my first NFR, I had hit two barrels and I was so devastated because I had started out really, really good. And then I think it was after round eight, I hit a barrel and I was just like, man, I, you know, I was doing great. And then I let that slip away. And he said to me, and that was, I guess in 2017. So up till that point, um, we think of Louie as the most consistent barrel horse of all time and the horse that never hit barrels. Right. In your mind, he never hit a barrel. I think about that all the time. It, I'm sure you Constantly. do. I'm sure it's forefront it of your mind. You wake mind. up in the morning, think about Louie never hitting a barrel. Well, for barrel racers, we do. We talk that way as if he never did. We do the same thing with Rolo and so a lot of people do with Sis that, oh, they're so consistent. He told me, you know, of all the NFRs we've been to, there's only been one where Lisa never hit a barrel, hit one, at least one every year. But you still think of that horse as, oh, 10 clean runs every trip. It's what comes to your mind, but stuff happens. Yeah. The freaking barrel gets in the way. You drag one over, they slip, you get the, your draw is just not ideal. Uh, somebody throws a water bottle into the alleyway during your run. I and just feel like that was at a the specific NFR. story right there. It actually like, happened to me at the Someone NFR. Someone threw a water bottle into the alley? Yep, I think it was from the stands. I did call Sage Kimsey and told him to get his bull riders in line and said, if I see a jumbo water bottle coming from you guys ever again, I will rip you a new one. And he do said, yes, ma'am. Do you think yes, it was from the stands or do you think it's bull riders? I do think riders? it was from the stands. Is that I an really official do. answer? That's an official answer um, based on the where it landed in the alleyway. But tell, me, tell me about this conversation. He says, hello, hey, what's up? How are you? It was and a you text. Said, oh, it was I a text. sent him a text, and he said, yes, ma'am. That was it. <laughs> hello, 
love those people. They're good people. And so he knows I would not say anything unless it was by But it was so frustrating at the moment because this is supposed to be the epitome of our sport. Yeah. And we have that. And my horse is boogery. And my horse jumps and runs around it. What'd and you do when the ball came? Well, jumped to the right and it set my angle off weird. And I caught the first barrel on the backside. Oh, so it had an actual. Had an effect for right. sure. Um, and come back a couple rounds later and it's, it's a beer can. And this time I saw it Hold, went to the left around the beer can. Like you saw it coming in? Saw it in the alley. It was in the, laying in the middle of the alley. And I'm thinking there's a judge standing right there and he could grab that. But it's laying in the alley and I saw it and went to the left and got my angle and won the round with a beer can in so the So I guess you could argue like throwing stuff in the alley is good if it's <laughs> It's just so... Some little girls out there doing measurements right now. Like, I'm going to help Haley win the Seriously, round. where are we going to put it? I, and when it's so weird to think about at that stage, right? This is the the best of the best. And yet yeah. stuff happens like that that kept me from winning a gold buckle in 21 because one less barrel in 21. I'm not saying that barrel, but one less barrel and I won it in 21. Stuff happens. And yeah. you don't really know what it's going to come from, whether it's completely random like that, whether it's an actual mistake you make in a run or whether it's... You know, you didn't draw good. Your horse got hurt for part of the year. Who Plethora the, of things. Who is the worst barrel racer that has won a gold buckle? <laughs> what? what kind of a question is that? It's one the I know worst. you would answer, but I wish you would. I wish. Ah, I like know. bad at it? I don't know that there's anybody bad at it that's ever won a gold buckle. Okay. Honestly. No, I know. I feel, well, if it's a gold buckle, I mean, at that point, yeah. that's, that's the design is that nobody bad wins that. Pretty much. Is there ever a time... Gosh, I, I, I can't I can't go fully into this. So I'm gonna tiptoe. And what I'm gonna ask is that you hear what I'm trying to get to, but also what I can't say. Mm. Uh, I was there when they were breaking in steers this year, the Thomas and Mac, and the girls were going through on the barrels, and people ride their good horses mm-hmm. and they kind of get through them. And then occasionally they'll ride what they could say is like a backup. Sure. Okay. Has there ever been a time where somebody comes in on their backup and it is so out of control that you go, what am I watching? It's, it's sad because when you're in that position going into the finals, you have so much confidence in your good horse, especially if it's a year that we are all on our good horses healthy, right? There, Cause there's a, every once in a while there's uh, no, actually more often than not, somebody has to come in and ride a backup because the horse they made it on got hurt. And that's sad. Like you feel bad for that person from the start. You're hoping for the best for him because nobody wants to make the NFR and not be able to ride their partner because the other 14 are riding the horse. They know like the back of their hand that they've won countless. Well, there's like on. this big achievement. Oh my gosh, I'm in, I made it. I'm in, I'm in the top 15. Great. And then instantly it swaps to, Oh wait, now I have to run 10 rounds. So I, I wonder sometimes if people don't sort of burn the wheels up trying to get to that first achievement without realizing, hey, I still got to have something left for those 10 rounds. We've had that conversation a lot among my personal group of friends that like if it ever got to the point where you felt like you were pushing the limit in the regular season to get to the finals and you thought that there was a chance you would get there and not be able to ride your good horse, call me and tell me to go home. Like yeah. that's a, as a friend, call me and tell me it's not worth it because you know, as well as I do, having a good NFR is why we go. We don't, I don't want to go to just in, waste my time right. running into walls. So yeah, when somebody's on a backup and you can tell it's not going well, you can probably bet that one, this was not their goal. <laughs> Obviously this they wanted it to go. Going either. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, th- this is actually a shock to everyone. Um, it's, it, you know, it's been all of us at one point you, you show up with the good horse really prepared and you thought you had the backup thing lined up and ready to rock and roll. And it's not working like you thought it was. Um, 
Um, I, I had a really great horse I took out there last year that is awesome in Coliseums. Loves Cowtown Coliseum. Hates horses running at her in the warm-up pen. Didn't think that through that I'm sitting in the alley at practice and horses are running past you. Right. And she's flipping out. And I was like, man, I could I could get by if I need to run her, but she's not going to be her best because she's going to have to sit there while 14 horses run past her. Yeah, right. Walk creeping down that alley or the flag or the wagon. you've already wagon. 24 hours out there with that horse thinking one way and having mm-hmm. to like... And, and there's ways to plan around it. We've done all of the things because, you know, they bring the wagon flying out past us with the flags. And that my first two years, especially, sis would freak out. My mom would take my jacket and hold it over her eye. <laughs> it's literally just like cover her eye yeah, to where she couldn't. This. Yeah, it's, you know, it's not going to help you. So just let it go by. And she's gotten better over time. Um, did you ride her all 10 rounds last year? I did. Yes. Was there a year? Okay, I'm dipping really far into my barrel racer memory here. There was a year, if I remember right, that you gave her a night off just because she was yeah. fine. 2020. 2020. And that was in Dallas. Yeah. Right? And, you know, I'll be honest, that was 100% planned from the start to give her a night off just because at some point, I didn't know when it was going to be. I decided to time it on the draw because they drugged that year yeah, right. on seven, on eight, excuse me, after the first eight. And that that night I was, I guess, sixth or seventh out after the drag. Uh, no, no, no. I was before the drag. I would have been seventh or eighth before the drag. So essentially bottom of it. And I knew, let's get real deep here. Before that NFR, we didn't know where it was going to go. They decided it's going to go to Arlington. We show up. I went to the media day at Arlington. Um, They wanted a few of us there. I'm looking at the baseball stadium, asking them, okay, how do you think you're going to set this up? And they're showing me visually. I'm like, this is going to be huge. Like, this is going to be a big pin. Okay, that'll be cool. My horse loves big pins. Like, we love standard patterns. We love the crazy, huge outdoor stuff. One pake is twice. Like, I know she's going to turn off the fence, no problem. But then they start talking about setting the pattern. And we have a rule in the WPRA rule book that says, if the arena allows for it, you need to set a standard pattern. It can be waived. It's on the judges to waive it um, if for a safety reason. So we decided beforehand, the top 15 girls and the WPRA were all in agreement that 10 runs on a standard was not ideal. That's a lot of runs on a standard pattern, especially in a pressure pack situation where these horses are running extra hard. You know, they're really nervous. So why is this a good idea? Well, we brought that to the PRCA and we said, we do not want to set a standard pattern. Can we set something smaller? PRCA came back and said, no, uh, we need the barrels as close to the fences as possible because we're selling tickets. I said, I understand that, but this is ridiculous 10 nights in a row. They said, you do it over the 4th of July. We said, we absolutely do not. We may run three or four days over the 4th of July and take a break. We may, you know, run five or six at Calgary and then they get a day off. But I don't know anybody that's done 10 standard patterns in in like a matter of 10 days. And we we begged that they would not set a standard pattern and they did anyways. And all of us were in agreement on, a, we had agreed on a measurement. Like we had gotten to that point in our group text and had the measurement set up where the WPRA sent it over and they said, no, we still don't know to this day entirely why, except for the reason of we need the barrels as close to the fences as possible. Who's the name on that? Do you, do you say? I could, I could get in a lot of trouble. Is it worth it? Um, I do think there was several people involved, but I think there was one that made the final call and he knows um, how I feel about it because I've made it clear. I, we are friends. 
I think you we sent did. him a we Sage Kimsey text. Uh, I, I did. I said, you know, we discussed it and I don't think, I think this is really unnecessary. I said, you will not see sis all 10 rounds. And I think they thought I was bluffing. I do. I've done it with the same person. I've done it with PRC on multiple occasions of an unfavorable format or setup and said, well, that's we not need holding them hostage. This. That is saying, I want to prioritize the horse over the situation. Exactly. And I, I do think they think I'm bluffing how to a point. Is, how old is she now? Uh, she's 12. So to an age that you can start paying attention and like protecting her. And I like can know. More, yeah. And, and at the time, it, it just seemed like a no brainer. I mean, she was only nine and she loves the state of pattern, but I thought, okay, if this is going well, I need to, I have this theory with the horses that when things are going well is the time to, to back off. And it, the smart ones know that you just rewarded them in yeah, some way. Right. And yeah. a lot of people don't necessarily do that. They kind of go until it starts to go downhill and that's when they take them to the vet or when they give them a break or something. Mm -hmm. Cause Oh, they got sore at that point. That's but, good. That's good advice, man. I think if, and I don't know that it works on the dumb ones. I'm going to be real honest. <laughs> There's some horses that maybe <laughs> they don't know the difference. They anyway. don't know the difference. They don't understand prosperity, but that horse does. And I, so I knew beforehand I was not going to get on her. I made my decision. I had five horses I had conditioned to run on a standard pattern and had ready. I had no idea what I was going to get on because I didn't have anything else that I was that confident was going to find the first barrel out there. But you were um, just going to give her that I was night. just going to give her a day. And so I decided it was after round five. She had slipped in round three pretty good, um, came back in round five, and I won the round and ran the first 16 of the day. And I walked out to the trailer and I just looked at my mom and said, it's tomorrow. And she looked back at me and grinned and said, it's tomorrow. And that was it. It was, I had so much peace and I just yeah. decided. And so I got on my friend's horse the next day. It didn't go bad. It wasn't great. It was just kind of wild. And like a 17, eight, all I knew was I had a second lead on the average and I needed to go around them. Right. And yeah, I was going to lose a little bit of that time. But if I just went around them, I had four more nights on her and I hauled her in because we were staying off site and I, she can't, I can't really leave her by herself. She's a woman. Um, <laughs> so I hauled her in and tied her there and she watched me all night. Like this horse watched me get the other horse ready. She, I, when I got back after running, I had another horse tied with her and she just looked like she stared at him and at me and at my mom. She like knew she got benched. Like, yeah, she was just like, okay, this is and the next night I came back uh, ran a 16.9 or something like that. Which the next 16, racing eight. fans would know, but for the average person, anything below 17 on a standard pattern is just full. Especially at a rodeo. Yeah. Especially at a rodeo. Um, you know, it's set like where the stake is in the center of the barrel. Sometimes a standard, quote unquote standard, the barrel's inside the stake. These are in the middle. It's also, the ground's not prepared to be that it's set up like that. It's not barrel racing ground, it's rodeo ground. And it's set up like Ellensburg. There's no fences telling you to turn. Like, you, it's on them. So, with that said, that come back that night, somebody said, at the end of my 10 rounds, I'd won five rounds, run like five 16s, broke the world record, won the average, end up had a guy on Facebook. And this is probably when I completely dissed Facebook. This man says, if you'd have run her all 10, you'd have won even more. And I was like, you idiot. <laughs> I didn't. I wanted to so bad, but I've called that guy out on multiple occasions um, and said, you know, this is kind of a good opportunity if you wanted really to fully call him out. It, I, if I even knew who this person was, I would say his Did you hear name. That, buddy? I would say name. his name because I wanted to tell him, you don't understand what a horse like that will do for you if you give them a second. Yeah, but I will say this. I will push back on this level is that one of the things I'm so sick of hearing from the Cowboy Channel, from the commentators, like, oh, you think you can do this little backyard? Burp, burp, burp. In what sport <laughs> does someone say, 
Oh, you think you can throw a baseball? Get out of here and try it, buddy. Like, <laughs> like that's part of the experience is somebody sitting at home thinking that they could. That they could. And feeling included. Like, to some degree, I, I hope they can get away from that. And, and like, I can't, like, you go to the gold buckle, sir, or like the, the, not the gold buckle, the round buckle deal. Yeah. How many times do you hear somebody go, oh, you think you can run barrels just because you go to a 5D barrel race? You're like, dude, that's the that's people the that point. are supporting. That's the dream. Those are the people that are supporting yes. the sport. Just let them think it. Who cares? So there's a weird balance of like, if you ran or all 10 nights, as stupid as that sounds, there is a little part of it's like, but you're not a fan. You're Haley Kinzel. You're over here. And like it or not, you don't get to sit at the, like, average people table. That's where we sit and we discuss. My brother's a journalist. Uh, He covered the Rangers forever. He works for The Athletic. And he takes his job really seriously. Like, I'm connecting two pieces, a person who does it and people who read and pay to talk about it. Mm. And honoring that there is that separation and it sucks. I don't know. No, that's very true. And what's, what's amazing about this sport is there's a place for everybody. Unfortunately, social media, everyone seems to have a chair there. But, it levels um, the playing field too much. It does, because a little too much. In what world do the players talk back to the fans? Like, if you're at a, base, <laughs> yeah. like if you're at a baseball game, it's not like somebody's going to leave the dugout and walk up and stands back. Shake hey, a fist Bill, at somebody. I'm, listen, I don't think that was very nice. <laughs> yeah, seriously. So we can't do that, but they, they are allowed an opinion, so that's fine. Um, I do wish they could think like I did. Every time I wish they could think like I did, because I think, man, if there was some way that I could convince them that I'm doing that, I'm actually thinking through what I'm doing, I would feel better. But then again, I've never needed their approval to win before. So why would I need it now? So I'm just going to keep doing what I've been doing, which is when I feel the need to prioritize her over the money, I will do it. And I fully, firmly believe it will pay me back in the long run. You can call me nuts, but I, I did it at Puyallup this past year. We had, you know, asked him to change the format in any way, shape, or form where set B did not have to run twice on Saturday and twice on Sunday. It was four runs in 30 hours, and it was pretty smoky. It usually is up there. So we were like, you know, this just isn't ideal. And it's a small pattern. Um, yes, it's not a huge run, but it's a lot to ask a horse. And we had asked, and we had asked. And I approached PRCA, some of the same individuals about it. They said, no bending we can't you know we can't do anything special for the barrel racing i said i understand but but the barrel horses are special you're not asking the bucking horses to go four times in 30 hours but you're asking the barrel horses and they said well it's on you you know as a competitor of course it's not a barrel race where you know you can run whatever horse you want i said well that's fair so i won't run my good one in the finals if i make it and i got kind of chuckle out of them like okay we'll see it pays 15,000 or whatever it paid 20,000 to win i said i can win 26,000 a night in vegas you think i'm scared <laughs> right like, do you really right. think i'm scared so i'm not gonna and i didn't and What'd then uh, i ran a colt in the in the 3 round and or the 4 man round and i she stumbled really bad but i got paid 6,000 for my efforts and i felt good i made the finals I want to go buckle. I won five rounds out there and I was not sad that I didn't run her in the finals at Piala. I just wasn't like I had, I had total peace about it. And I think when you make those hard decisions, you have to be very set, like no, no fear of what's going to happen because I could have completely broke the pattern, (laughs) not got paid at all. Okay. That's something you have to accept the full risk of before you start. You come to terms with it and you be so confident in that decision because I wasn't doing it as far. The, the hard decisions to me are the ones where you're like, okay, what's the best way to win? 
when yeah, when you're sitting there yeah, like right. weighing, well, what horse do I get on for the setup or when do I need to enter for, or should I even run if it's muddy? Those are the hard decisions because you're trying to win. When you're trying to take care of your horse, that is the easiest decision I've ever made. Interesting. Every time. I've never heard anybody say it that way, but that makes sense. I've, and I don't know if it applies necessarily to every single event too, because feral horses are different and they just are. And, um, I think a lot of times I've watched, you watch the guys like in the calf roping that go make businessman run time after time after time, but then that shootout round comes around and they just absolutely throw down, you know, something in them goes off differently too, that tries to win versus tries to do the job. And I think we all have kind of a similar mindset of when we're able to apply that, put your thumb on it. This is when I need to go try and win. But for me, the, the rest of the time ask my horse for about 80% and just try and make a good run. And then I'll decide when to call on her and when not to. How much of a boss move is that though, to say like, I can go win enough at 80% so that when we get to the final somewhere, I can go hundred percent. How awesome is that horse that at 80% it's enough most places? That's a sister move. It's, she's, a, she's just amazing. I don't know if I'll ever have a horse that, that can do that. I do believe firmly that back to the horses that try hard and the horses that are smart and I think mares are a little bit this way in that they they recognize that and they reward you for it. They know when you're different. They know when you're turned on and asking for all they've got and they give it. There's a reason she wins shootout rounds at the American and, you know, Calgary and stuff. Like there's a reason that I can ask for a little bit more sometimes. And it's like everything we were doing before is times 10. It's because she knows I'm not going to ask for it every time. But don't you think your average, like your average person who's learning that, that maybe hasn't gotten there, that like their whole reputation, their income, their money, like the ability to put tires on their truck is riding on winning. Don't you think your average person is going to have a temptation to go all out every single time to get as much as they can up until that point? Absolutely. Not that that's okay. I'm just saying I can understand. It's actually pretty admirable to be able to hear you go, I'm not going to ask for it every single time. I think it is also completely understandable why they do. And I think I would not be able to say this if I didn't have a horse like her. And if I hadn't been around enough other horses now that I can recognize little things that are in her that are also in them. But I've seen it firsthand from her. And I can now look at you know another horse and say, yeah, that may not be all the talent as she has, but she has that, this one has that same look in her eye that tells that me she's going to know when I'm serious. And she's going to know when we need it versus this is a jackpot. This is a slack. This is a perf where we've got 10 more. I would argue at the finals, I can't ask for a hundred percent every run because well, it's 10 of them. Row, what right? if we got to round five and she's like, okay, that's bad I'm enough, out. man. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I think you see horses do that. They, because you go in with so much energy and you're trying well, to you dial yourself back every night on a different horse. And you know, like the finals are not a fun experience. This no. is not fun. No one's enjoying this. The horses are running off and you're like, Ugh, you it's work painful. all year to get to that position. And then what? And you know, there's going to be somebody in that position almost every year. And you just want to work to prevent that. It's you, yeah. but yeah. you also, yeah, it makes you really grateful. Like anything I have to do to avoid that. Seriously. It's not making the finals to avoid that. Seriously. And, and you have to be even more grateful when it goes well. Cause you recognize that like there's, Yes, I'm trying to create this going well, but we all tried to create this going well. For some people, it just didn't freaking work. And it makes me a lot more humbled and grateful that it, it has happened well for me. It's gone well for me every year. I can't. I can't put a price on that. So I don't know the story, and I know we've gone long enough, but I, I don't know the story. Walk me through as quickly as you feel like you can go. Um, what, t- tell me about the acquisition of Sister. I don't know any of her background. I know. Let me tell you what I do know, and you can start from there. 
I know you won the American. First of all, I want to tell you about Bales Hay, the YouTuber. If you guys haven't followed Trevor Bales on YouTube or social media, let me just tell you, it is the best agricultural social media account going. But that's not, that's less important than the kind of products they're producing. I've got hay, I, I joked in the last ad, it feels like hay you could eat yourself. Um, here, here's what stands out to me about Bales Hay. I can feed less of it and get the same results. I'm putting this with unbeatable feeds and equinity products, and I'm telling you, my hay has gone down. The amount of hay I have to feed to get the same results has gone down feeding higher quality alfalfa. You guys check them out at baleshay.com. If you're thinking, wait, he produces hay and his name is Bales, I agree. I'm with you. What are the chances? So check them out. Bales Hay, you guys go look them up. They can deliver. Here's the thing. They can deliver anywhere in the nation. They've got trucking. You need it, they can get it to you. And I know for a fact, having been raised in some places where alfalfa doesn't grow, it will blow your mind the effects of the hay, the hay that's grown right here in Arizona. It's the best hay in the world. It can be delivered to you. Check them out, Bales Hay. Ranch and solar lighting update. Uh, I told you I was gonna get them. Told you I'd give you an update. Let me tell you what. I am the only person in the state of Arizona right now that does not have a tan. I rope every night. My horses don't get hot. My ropes don't get destroyed. The sand isn't as hot. My steers last longer. I could go on and on. I, this has changed my entire year. I've been able to keep outside horses I thought I was going to have to send back because it was going to be too hot. And they just announced they're releasing stadium lights. You can get on the list right now and order stadium lights. They, they figure it's going to take eight of them to light an entire arena at the price of $7,500 out the door. That means stadium lights at your arena, $7,500, no install, no electric bill. And I'll tell you what, here's what I did. Full disclosure. I said, Ayla, I know these are going to sell out here. Would you let me be a dealer? Like this is the only company I've done this with. I would be, I would happily be a dealer. So hit me, let me know if you want to, if you, I've got the portal on my phone, I can walk you through it. If you want lights, let me know. It has changed my life. You guys check out the 1017 Project. You've heard me talk about it. Uh, we are donating hamburger from Roped Out Rope and Steers. We've been in business since 2014. Last year in 2022, we donated a little over $700,000 of hamburger to food banks, after school programs, women's shelters, anywhere that is making food available to those in need. So if you want to support the 1017 Project, you can check it out at our website, 1017project.com, all of the social medias. Uh, we've, had some, we've had some people come in on the podcast and go, hey, we heard about it. We love it. We want to support it. Let me tell you the most amazing number that we can provide. We can put a pound of hamburger, a national cost of about $5.30, $5.20, one pound of hamburger into a food bank for every dollar that comes in. So if you're thinking to yourself, well, it's a charity. What percent of my dollar actually goes to the cause? Because I know there are bad ones. We can take your dollar and turn it into $5.20. Bet. Check us out. You want us to prove it? We can. Check it out. 1017project.com. Walk me through as quickly as you feel like you can go. Um, what, tell me about the acquisition of Sister. I don't know any of her background. I know. Let me tell you what I do know, and you can start from there. I know you won the American when you were like 12. 22. <laughs> <laughs> that too. <laughs> seems, like a lot, seems like forever ago. but As a baby. 22 years old, you win the rodeo on a horse that was relatively unknown to the rest of the world. Like yep. She came out of her dark years in in that rodeo. Yeah. What was her and your experience zero to that point? Zero to that point. Um, I, we had a maternal half sibling tour that we loved that my mom had found on Craigslist. <laughs> Oddly enough, was looking for a couch for my brother, stumbles upon a horse and she's down the road in Pleasanton. Come to find out the breeder of the horse is 
Dylan Mundorf. We called Dylan, said, what's the story on this mare? He tells us it ended up with a vet because he needed to pay a bill. She's there. Go right. And she, we said, can you put one ride on her to prove that this horse is not a bronc for us? He did that for us. We went and bought this mare. A year later, we're loving this mare. She's now a three-year-old. And we said, do you have any others out of that same mare? Or do you have the mare? And he had already sold the brood mare. But he said, I've got one. I bred that mare to De Niro. I'm going to put her in a sale next real fall. Quick, real quick, where did that mare go? Does anybody know? The, the broodmare? Yeah. Yeah, so a guy named John Malbach. She'd gone to Nebraska, and then uh, the guy in Nebraska bred her a freight train bee and then sold her to John Malbach, who lived in Colorado, who is now killing it as a breeder. I'll put it that way. Wow, <laughs> He's done a really good job just managing looks her. into the mother of sister. How old is the mom now? <laughs> she is, gosh, she's got some age on her, maybe 20 something. Well, 22. now they're selling embryos, right? Yeah. So they're selling embryos and doing really well with their, Holy um, cow, what a lucky deal that went up. And it's wild too, because up to this point, there are still no other half siblings that have become stars of any kind. The, the one that we had, Two weeks after the American, we lost a melanoma. So I never got to know that horse's full potential. She was a little bit of a loose cannon early on. So it took us a little while, then maturity or just kind of took our time. She was just coming into her own. And then we have to put her down. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, you're good. So you get sister at how old? So she was two in that sale. And we didn't... really know much about her except that we loved Dinero and we loved the, the maternal side, thought it was worth it. Um, bought her over the phone in this sale. Dylan brought her home. We got her to the house, rode her, pulled her shoes off, turned her out and got back on her. He had her really broke. Like she was sale broke, ready to go. But, um, you know, she was also self-fit and all this stuff. So, so we just kind of turned her out for a little bit, started riding her three-year-old year. I was in college. Um, Where'd you go to school? Uh, A&M. So I was in college station. uh, An actual real university. Yeah, an actual school. It was fun. I had a good time. School sucks. They make you actually go to class and try. Well, yeah, if you go to A&M, that's why most rodeo kids pick like, Snyder. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, they didn't really tell me that. They were just like, most kids go to like a junior college first. And I'm like, why? I want to go to A&M. Did you get I your degree? Gone. Oh, yeah. In what? Um, ag economics, finance, and real estate. And um, my dad, <laughs> my dad's a realtor. So it it was fun to get that degree, but it also is like, what am I going to do with that? Um, but I learned, a, I there's a ton of things. It. I'm going to buy sister. Yeah. Well, the econ side has paid off when it comes to business planning. I'll put it that way. Um, thanks to her. She put me in a good position for that. But so she was young and, uh, I was called rodeo on my other horse and we started kind of entering her kind of accidentally took her to a rodeo as a five-year-old that I had entered him at and he wasn't feeling too good. So I go and run her and she places same thing. We're was like, just like a shock. Like yeah. You're just going to try to get through the pattern. I was just going to like, well, let's just go cruise the young horse through. She, at that point had placed in the one D at some small jackpots, but we weren't like going, I'd gone to one fraternity and made the finals did good on her. So I was like, okay, so she's, she's, like, she's a nice horse. She was, yeah, she was, she was kind of funny. She would like shake her head and run off every once in a while. Doesn't like, she still kind of do that? Oh yeah. hundred percent. Um, this was before the tie down though. So <laughs> it was worse. Um, <laughs> so she would just got kind of pull off her and, but she would still clock. So it was like, okay, she's talented. We just don't, we're just still putting it together same thing in the summer took her along to go to the college finals with him and he had once again just rode him and took her along and I get on her at a rodeo that I entered him at but he wasn't feeling good that day so I got on her and she won it and it was just like this is too easy um so I wanted to take her that summer as a five-year-old and go on my little rodeo run for the summer was there any offers anywhere in here to sell her was there no 
No, I don't think anybody. You liked her enough the whole time you wouldn't have sold her anyway? I or? wouldn't have sold, definitely wouldn't have sold her. We liked her for my mom and I, and you could ranch on her too. Like we, you could use her. Um, but she was just, she seemed talented Yeah. and nobody was really, I, I guess they didn't like her. Honestly, <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Nobody came and asked. And I was a college student, so you would think, but, um, no, nobody asked. And then, um, I wanted to take her that summer. My mom said, no, I was not happy because I was like, well, she's competitive. And she's like, she's a baby. She's going to stay home. You're going to go learn how Shut to up, rodeo. For paying attention oh my to gosh. Because I was 21 and I needed to just learn how to like get to the rodeo, get on the horse at the rodeo, make the run, not go win. <laughs> Nobody, the girls that are trying to do that. I'm like, that's you're awesome. Win anything. You're Good just trying to live. <laughs> try, but yeah, if you're going by yourself with your buddy and I was me and Lonnie Lester take off and we're going to go tear the world on up and just rodeo and we didn't win a dime but um no we we did okay but we had fun but that was it we just need to go have fun and get our feet wet we did that come back start my senior year I changed my major a little bit because it was very very the one I was at the option I was in was super demanding and I was like man I think I'm gonna get to go should've to some rodeos to in the spring anywhere you Valley would have been better off at this point but I was like no I'm gonna just adjust my option because I I was at that point I was in the library so many hours a week and I, I was like I can if I want to go to some rodeos and I really do I didn't think I was gonna go win but I knew I had a chance I had gotten in that year to Fort Worth and Denver so I was like I can go to some rodeos. I need some time though I need some space so I adjust my option I go take her to Denver that was her first perf six-year-old year and we went second at Denver um in the average and come back and so you won second at Denver before the American story ever mm -hmm. happened. Okay. So she was winning along. So we're on the board. Yeah. We were still running off a little bit. <laughs> Every run at Denver looked different. Like we're, <laughs> we were like one, we ran off this barrel, then this barrel, then this barrel, but like we kept doing good. And, um, I go to Fort Worth. She snorts at the crowd the whole way to the second barrel. Like she's super spooky, but we get back to the progressive round. I place in the second round, not enough to make the short round. That was when it was an average, but I was like, man, that was good. It's a real rodeo. Yeah. I go to San Angelo, run him in the first round, get the perfs, go to the perfs, I placed in the perfs, like in the second round, I placed across the board. I'm making the short round. So then we've got the American semifinals and I had qualified her because I went to run him at a qualifier and I was like, <laughs> I'll enter my Colt too she qualifies. So I'm like, I'll go run with American semifinals. She snorts through the first run at the crowd. We barely squeak into the second round. Second round, we come in and make a great run. It was awesome. Is that the first great run as far as not acting green? Or um, no, well, I would say we had made some solid ones up to that point, but just not like really clocking. But yeah, that was a, we run a 13 nine and we were like, Oh, okay, we're good at this. Um, <laughs> so I, after that, the next night was the, sh the San Angelo short round, because that was when it was in February. So I'd run Thursday night in Cowtown. I've made the short round at Angelo, barely. I didn't think I was going to, but the last perf fell apart, and I've squeaked in, and we're in Fort Worth. My other horse is in College Station. My mom and dad and I are in Fort Worth, and I'm like, it would make most sense to just drive straight there, but it feels wrong, because now I've got her qualified to Sunday at the American, and this is going to be a big deal for her, like huge sensory overload. Sure. I've seen that place. It's loud. I've never been there, but it looks like a lot. And we're going to have to make two runs. And she's six. She's a baby. She's been running barrels for a year and a half. Like I just didn't feel right. And my mom and I kind of just had that moment like, yep, we're not doing it. So we drove back to college station that next from morning Fort from Fort Worth, leave her there, get my other horse, drive to San Angelo, place an average on him, come back, 
get to Brian, get her, drive to Fort Worth Saturday, stay the night, get up and do the open arena thing. And it was like, it was hilarious because the whole day she's morning, she snorted all the stuff. And I, during the, the 10 man round or whatever it's called, when there's a bunch of us long that run yeah. the long round, I rode into the arena to let her feel the energy. It was when Cody all ran and rode in the box. Cowboy, Terrible idea. Terrible idea. The whole place erupts. And I'm just trying to sit in the alley like, it's okay. Good no girl. This yeah, You love it. You know, you're good well, at that. Well, she could see that and be okay. It's not, like, running's not going to be more stressful than that. It was a blessing in disguise because it, it, like, hit her all at once. And she was like, okay, this is it. So we go back out, we come back in, get ready, and then go through the day. And so, yeah, at that point, she had had some clocks. She had had some minor success. She was starting to make more solid runs, but being electric like that, that she was that day and just outrunning great horses, that had never happened up to that point. Other than, I guess Denver, it was the closest thing, but we were still making wild runs outrunning great horses. Yeah. We weren't making what looked like, oh, these people got it together. Right. <laughs> so that was the day, biggest stage. She turns it on. She turns it on on, on the right day. Looking to see, obviously, everything she's become since. That's cool to know, like, that those horses just have that, like they have that ability to just turn that on. So real quick, I know we're almost done. I've taken all the morning. <laughs> Walk me through, you're done, you win the American, you're riding out of the arena to an hour later. What was that hour period of like, I just won the American on a colt? <laughs> it was wild. Um, I... It was more than I expected in any way. Like I didn't, it's not like I showed up to win. I can't really describe that, but I showed up to just go be <laughs> I my didn't best. Show up to win. No, I was like, this is cool, but we're just going to go try our best. And we tried our best and it worked. So it was like major satisfaction that just trying your best could work. <laughs> and I'll you know, keep it simple, man. Um, there was family, friends, like my, my brother was there and I just remember him being, he's always so genuinely excited for me because he knows just me as me and oh, I'm sure everybody was crying. I was crying. I, you know, learned to wear waterproof mascara after that. <laughs> um, it was also kind of like a, yeah, after that, the American, you look like you went through a breakup. <laughs> seriously. Uh, and so I drive back to my college house where my roommates have got me a cookie cake. Day? Um, 444,000. Yeah, it was not a small split. victory. It no. was a, a huge deal. Or dri I'm driving back that night and somebody posted on Facebook that it was the most anybody had won running barrels in one day. And I was like, I've grown up watching the greats of barrel racing, the Cassie Mowrys and Troy Crumrines break records, not just in rodeo, but in barrel racing that we've had big payouts for years. And I just topped that. And this is just all I wanted to do ever get back story. to my college house. And there's a couple guys at rodeo that are staying there and they've come down for the American and I don't even know them. They're, you know, they're seeing my roommates they and they're like, what's up girl. Yeah, they're, they're with my roommates <laughs> to be completely clear, but they were, you know, you walk into your house, you're like, I don't know you. And they're like, congrats. They're my, my, one of my roommates made a sign. It was like, welcome home. One got balloons. The other one got a, a cookie cake and it just was like, okay, back to being a college kid. Yeah. Cookie cake. Nothing yeah. says four hundred forty dollars like a five dollar cookie cake, literally. I see that tastes like toothpaste. It wasn't even like like uh, had my name or anything. It wasn't like congrats. It was just literally like a cookie cake. We got cake. you some top ramen. We're really proud of you. Exactly. Welcome back to college, man. Jeez. And so the rest is history. I mean, from there it was like, did did she? Was that it? Like that just locked her in from that point forward, and she became sister. 
In some ways, um, the, a couple weeks later, I went to a jackpot and made her lope because she was getting kind of pushy, and I ran the 2D, and everybody was like, why didn't you try and win it? I'm like, I don't really care about winning a jackpot. Game, we just won yeah. a lot of money. Um, game, yeah. yeah, but it was also odd because after that, it was like, well, what do we do now? Because now I'm three months from graduating. Do I go and get a job? Do I go and try and run? Because it's a lot of money, but it also kind of means nothing. In some way, it's like that didn't give me any direction. Well, it doesn't give you anywhere in the standings. No, like so you're not guaranteed anything. So what do I do? So we, I decided I was gonna try and go to some rodeos, try and get in the top thirty for next year. If you had gotten a job, what would that job have been? <laughs> uh, Did you have something like lined up that you had to walk away from? Not really. I had gone to all the required career fairs up to that point, and I hated all of them. Um, I was like, do I give them my resume? Do I tell them like I don't really want to be here? Were um, you afraid you'd get hired? I was very afraid to get hired. I was afraid to go through the whole process and change my mind because I don't like not committing. So I had kind of talked to my parents about taking Sis and TJ, my older horse, and just going to some rodeos that summer. And in the fall, when I got back, I would go do something, whether that was get an internship job at one of these companies or what I really wanted to do, which my dad was not thrilled about, was go work for a trainer, clean stalls. Yeah. Like, that was my plan. I was going to come back and do that. Who was on your, like, your... Your dream vision board oh, of gosh. trainers that you go to work for. I could have, I could have gone to work for anybody. I didn't care. Um, but I'd already uh, was. I talked to Ryan Padone, um, and I just liked her personality, and was like, I could learn. I felt like I was a sponge. I could learn from anyone. Yeah. I was like, it, literally anyone here is going to know more than me. People so, need to do that too, Haley. Like that's something that is so undercelebrated. Is the person that shows up. Maybe I'm like cartoons where they got like the stick and the little hanky over their bag and they're a hobo and they're just walking down the street. Like if that kid would just show up at someone's house and go, I'll sleep on your porch. I have to know what you know. Exactly. Like if I'm going to do this for a career, I have to know what you know because I don't have the tools that you have and it's going to be a waste of my time to try to do this on my own. That is, I wish, I wish people could lock on to how valuable that time is. I I don't know how they don't because I was raised to think that way that like you can always learn from somebody and you start at the bottom. You work your way. You start at the bottom every You've time. You've got a big giant check for 440000 and you're saying it. And like I, there are kids that won't do it now with $439,999 less than that that are like, nah, I probably got it figured out. I'm ready to go. Well, they've got 444 followers on social media and they <laughs> tag their sponsors. So let's just get that straight. Um, they're already having a lot of success. A little moment of saltiness. <laughs> Sorry. Um, that what, was all- it, what does it mean real quick before you go what, what, to what you're saying? When you say a sponsor... No, nah, never mind. That's, it, it, sponsorship is a weird one. Like if you're not Sorry. getting paid... If you're getting like a bumper sticker, that's not a sponsorship. Just to clear the air. I had to learn that myself. We all have to learn that when you're first starting rodeoing, that just because you're offered a patch and maybe some product doesn't mean you should take it. It's a compliment and it's a great compliment and we should be grateful and we should say, I can accept this and I will post something on my social media. Patch space is like a billboard. You sell it. It's, you have to be smart. So much of it. And to be fair to everyone else that competes, if you take a patch for nothing, you hurt the next guy. You don't really know that, but, and and that's really true for the younger guys coming up. I want them to value themselves as much as they can, because that helps me. And that in turn, I'm going to turn around and help them because I'm not going to take something that 
you know, they should take as a starter gig. If I take a starter right. gig now at this point in my career, then that company is not going to reach out to the up and comer, even though that's their budget and they're a low budget. That's you say, that's fine. I want to help you. I'll help you in this other way, but you need to call this up and comer because they, they need that deal. I don't need that deal. Well, it's so like the podcast is, and I, I've never, ever, ever talked about money on here, but to advertise on here is I think expensive. Mm -hmm. And the reason it's expensive is there may come a day where I'm going to go to some faturities and I'm going to have all my stuff with me and I'm going to get to go drive to Stephenville and create a better product. Sure. If I've hamstrung myself where I can't afford to do anything and I'm just barely scraping by, the product suffers and eventually goes away. Because how long are you going to do something for free? If, if you're able to achieve a high level of production, and I, I don't base it on what I'm asking for. Mm -hmm. I want to always base it on what I'm offering. What you can give. And I will not, I will not play the game when someone's like, well, tell me about your social media. I don't care about social media. I'm not doing this for a celebrity. I, I'm not doing this to get my face in front of people. If somebody wants to go the content, like genuine substance of the conversation, get to know people better, like actually get to see the wizard behind the curtain, so to speak, then those are the kind of companies that I want to be a part of. Yeah. The culture of companies is important to me because if somebody's like, well, you need to grow your social media, we're not the same. And mm -hmm. I just, I can't live under that kind of pressure. I think that's really fair. And I, I think that you're, what you're trying to do on your side or on my side is you value your time. And I've had to learn how to say no to a lot of things because I'm a people pleaser and I would like to make everybody happy. Um, but in the end, I've had to learn that I can't control their happiness. I can, can only control what I can yeah, give their them. Their happiness is on them. It's on them. Yeah. I, and now I say I like to do things that can make people happy, not I like to make people happy because there's a difference. But part of that say is that saying... Say that real quick. Don't skip over that. Say that one more time. You like to do things? I, I now tell myself that I enjoy doing things that I think will have a positive impact or I think will make somebody smile or I think will cheer them up as opposed to what I used to say. I used to say I love to make people happy. Yeah, that's that's not much. true. That's impossible. It's impossible. And I, I thought I could until you find out that you, that part's on them. And I think the same goes in this case, whether or not you are valuable to them is their decision. You can say, this is what I can offer you. Good. I, this is my time. My time is valuable to me because if you're not using it, I'm using it for right. something else. Like girls got to mow, you know, <laughs> um, <laughs> stalls need clean. So you clean your own stalls. Oh, you know, I'm really good at it. I'm actually just an overpaid stall cleaner um, <laughs> or underpaid, whichever way you want to look at it. But um, yeah, I think you have to decide what your value is. And even if you're an up and comer and you're listening to this, it's really important to know from the beginning that you are a walking billboard, whether that's the way that you conduct yourself and you're winning needs to be presentable needs to be beneficial to those companies, but it also is valuable and it's just as valuable to you as it is to me. So present yourself that way. So that is our 101 sponsorship. There's a tangent. There you go. Sorry. So you, decide, <laughs> you didn't know if you're going to get a job or go radio. Sorry, we're yeah. way back. You decide, like you had some resumes, weren't sure what you were going to do. Might have gone to work for a trainer. But instead, We're going to go, go rodeo this summer. And that was it. It was just this summer we're going to get into the winter rodeos. That was my goal was getting the top 30. I remember I had a good fourth. I had only gone to like four or five rodeos, but I won 10, 15,000 15, or so over the fourth. Really just good. And... I was in Vernal and my mom is very honest with me and she's with me and she says, so your dad is kind of asking what the heck we're doing. Like, why are we out here just going to rodeos? Why isn't Haley home getting a job? Like, why are we just playing around? And she said, so I sent him a picture of the standings. And at that point, I didn't know I was 21st in the world. I had no clue. I was just like, I, I knew I had to go forth. after the 4th of July. It was after the 4th standings had come out and she sent it to him. And like literally my dad is a wonderful guy, but he's very practical. And so he's going, hey, like 
you're just going to rodeo your life away. Like, no, like you're going to get a job. Like you're going to make money. She sent him that. And he was like, okay, I guess give it a try. <laughs> He's like, listen, I would be so much more excited if it was six higher than that. Because they're not going to give you a medal for being 21st. So let's get after it or not. He, I mean, like I said, we were not, all of us knew that we were not trying to make the finals that year. We were trying to get into the winter. We didn't, we just didn't think it was possible. I yeah. honestly, and not because I wasn't confident in my horse, but she was six. Like she was still doing six year old things. You're a college and, kid riding a colt. I mean, there's no, there, a rational person is not thinking like, let's go make the NFR. Exactly. And I was trying to make sure I didn't just run her everywhere and try and squeeze every drop ever. We knew this was going to be good long-term. We knew she would last. Like we just knew that you had to manage that. Not very many people get to go rodeo with familiarity their rookie year. Right. Mm -hmm. So most of the places a person's going to go, you're at the bottom of the totem pole. You don't know where to park. You don't know where to go. The committee people are, aren't going to be nice to you. How much of an advantage do you think it was as far as like feeling at home on the road, having won the American first, really, before you go and try it? Having won the American and I have to say, having had my card and gone out for two summers before, I'm not saying I went hard or was trying to do anything, but I knew what rodeos I liked. I knew which ones to show up for. I knew how to enter. And I knew that I could have success because of the American. I knew how to follow rules because of the American. The, you, you knew know, that you, your checks were going to clear because of the American. Ex <laughs> yes. I was, I was confident. And I applaud people who just go out their rookie year and, you know, go for it. But I was not that person. I was middle of college and I was like, there's no way I would, yeah. I would be Wait. Successful. Wading into it slowly. I could try, but I would not win. So I wanted to go win. So I did feel like I was ready to be where I was. Um, and then it was the next week um, I won Salt Lake, and that's counted for 50000 We made the NFR, and that was like a, oh, wow. Did not that know was that was moment. possible. That, yeah. And then at that point, you're in. I was in. That was it. Yeah, I'm going to get this. Watch this. I've got this cord for you guys not watching at home. I've got this cord that's connected to my janky microphone boom. <laughs> Because usually we're in a studio and this is all set. I'm trying to make sure it's close enough that I can hear. Yeah. And I've got, <laughs> I've holding got it. a cord holding the microphone <laughs> off of Corelli's face. Literally holding um, it. So the first year that you went, was it surreal? Was it like imposter syndrome? Do I belong here type stuff? It was so fun. I don't remember feeling like I don't belong here. I don't remember feeling like I did. I remember the first morning practice being the coolest thing ever. And I will say... Every year since then, it's still the coolest thing ever because it's the first time you go in the Thomas and Mac on in the alley. Like, you're going in because they told you to. <laughs> like, <laughs> Here's what I got to experience this year. To your credit, I thought it was such a fascinating thing because people are, to me, people are the most like exciting part about rodeo. Yeah. I love horses and stuff, but it's the people and the stories. And I'm sitting there. I had to sit there for the barrel racing. I will be open about the barrel racing. It's not something I typically watch a whole lot. But they had to do the barrel thing first, and then they're going to break in steers. Mm -hmm. And we've got gals, like, they're making sure their extensions aren't going to fall out and nervous <laughs> and uptight. And, like, it, 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 there's a lot. Right? There's a lot. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, Haley comes loping in on sister, making fun of the judges. The judges talk to you like you're their daughter. Like, it's this <laughs> funny, I'm going to find you. You're not going to find me. Like, the whole, <laughs> yeah, the whole level changes. And. And that to me is something that I really admire is like the moment isn't so big that you get caught up in it, especially when you're surrounded by other gals that is like, I'm in the half hour. Like everything's like, ah, you know, just reactive. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was literally like you're eloping around the barrels at your own home. Is that something you've had to work to cultivate or is that just you naturally? That's my personality. I'm not going to lie. I, from the, my first NFR, I was definitely a little more nervous, but like I, I talked to I can get along with a brick wall and I end up just kind of cutting up with them. And I think they figure out that I'm not out to get them. They're not out to get me. And if, 
you know, everything and stuff's going to happen there. Like this year at 11, I'm trotting to the first barrel on her and she sees the camera pit and plants and snorts like this year. And I'm like, the camera pits in the same place. It's never moved, it's never moved honey. And we're all at that point. I'm laughing. They're laughing. It's nobody's fault. Like we're, but I could get really worked up and let that really affect me that, oh my gosh, she's not ready. Or I could just laugh. I think instead what you did is you giggled and you're like, hey, there's a rock right here. <laughs> I found this point out rock. Just stopped until they came out. I wanted to out. make sure they got the rock because if you drag, it's going to move the rock. And then and Andy, yeah, Andy Hilton is sitting behind the deal and he coughs. I'm on my other horse, but he's like behind the thing, behind the fence and he coughs real loud and that one snorts <laughs> and spins off and he's like, I am so sorry because, you know, he feels bad that yeah. he just ruined Can my practice. Can you stifle your COVID for one second? I I'm was trying like, to get to the man, like I'm teasing him. I'm like, it's them powdered donuts, isn't it? They know the powder <laughs> sugar's coming up your throat. Like it, I could be mad right then, but like my, I have trained myself to react differently because yeah. you can only control your reaction. Like stuff's going to happen, especially there. The only thing you can control is your reaction and your reaction determines your mood for the that, rest of the day. Say that, I want to make sure because having seen it in action, it's fun to watch. Everybody's nervous, hype, and then you come in joking and laughing around and like the judges. It's like it's like you're the sweetheart of the entire city of Las Vegas. Everybody's like, Haley's here. Oh, there's oh there's sister, there's Haley. Like it, I don't know if they think that highly of me. Well, but the feeling is that like the whole mood changes when you wrote in. And like that is something that I wish you could give to people. I wish that was a gift you could give to people that when they walk into a room, that it kind of brightens up and everybody that's serious kind of relaxes a little bit. So you just said it. You said you're how did you say that? The only thing I can control is my reaction to whatever happens, good, bad, ugly. If my reaction is going to determine how I feel the rest of the day, then I don't want to be fretting about the time that she snorted at the camera. Pause. Otherwise, I'd be... Pause. Yeah. Grandma, did you just say fretting? Fretting. Is that fretting. is that a grandma term? That's kind of like that Super Bowl thing that they Okay, did. well... Fretting. I don't know that I have one fretting. other... Friend. I know a lot of people... <laughs> I don't think I've heard anybody use the word fretting. I'm going to have to call my grandma and tell her thanks for the vocabulary. <laughs> she probably watches that Super Bowl thing. I'm sorry, Grandma. I was just fretting about the weather. I'm Seriously. <laughs> well, like you're on a ship. <laughs> <laughs> it's possible. Sorry. Anyway, you don't want to be fretting the rest of the day about the reaction, and that well, doesn't make sense. Like, it, you're going to carry it with you. I'll just say, like, first round of the finals, if I had worried about it, I would have been in the alley thinking about, I hope she doesn't see the camera pit. Yeah, it's right. crazy what that can control your mind. Like, you can let the tiniest things, if they bother you in the minute, they're going to bother you later, too, because you didn't shut it out. And I guess my way of shutting it out is just to find some humor in it, just make a joke. Um, it's It's not the easiest thing because... It was something I had to learn. Like I said, I've had to learn that people are going to ask me why I'm not on sister when I'm going in the alley with my hat down. If I was to let that really bother me, like, why don't I just laugh and say, it's not, you know, yeah, and then keep on. going, you know, like, <laughs> oh my gosh, I could better change horses. Um, that's, if I can make some humor out of it, then I can make sure my reaction is good. And I can also help other people have like my, off my reaction it could affect their it mood it sets the tone no and that's what, I, I think mood. that's what I'm trying to say like that yeah. day it set the tone and I think sometimes especially like you think about the girls that's their rookie year they don't know mm -hmm. so when they see somebody that's in your position come in and demand that it be fun and lighthearted, it's like it gives them permission to be like 
okay, it doesn't have to be like, it's okay. it can be okay. Yeah. And, and okay. that's exactly right. It does set the tone for the room. And I would hope, I would hope people listening would take that and go, then I can do that too. Maybe I could do that at my school. Maybe I could do that at my job. Like I don't have to just constantly be the one that's like letting the emotions hit me on every single thing. And mm-hmm. it is, it's, a, I mean, not to just gas you up too much, but like there's a life lesson in that of like the moment can't be so big that you misbehave. For sure. Like no matter how big the moment is, you get to be yourself. You get to choose to be yourself. And then that just like has a ripple effect. And you get to choose to be kind. You realize too, when you're at those morning practices and it's 630 and the judge is like sleepy and you're sleepy and you're Wake stressed. Up, George. Yeah. And Gibbs is like a little grouchy. You know what? <laughs> Gibbs should be grouchy. It's 630 and he's having to stand there and watch yeah, us walk the, the pattern. Oh my time. gosh. He doesn't want to be there for that reason, but it's his job. So I'm going to help George enjoy it because right. that's all I can do. I don't want this to be miserable for either of yeah, us. Yeah, the so whole like, moment isn't about you. And that's no. that's maturity, though. I mean, that that is, I would say, social socially healthy to realize, like, there are other people involved in this moment. This isn't just about me or how I feel in the moment. And good on you. So you're good for the sport. You have sat here for way too long. I'm sorry to take up the entire day. Is there something we missed? Gosh, if there was... We suck because we, we covered a lot of we things. Did, we did a good job. I awesome. thought we did. Yep. Sincerely, I appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks. We'll do it again. Thanks for having me.